0: Hello, I am Stacy. I'm our student pastor here at Cassis Church. You might have seen me. They shot a video a couple weeks ago, which was really just an excuse to hit me with a Nerf gun. Yeah, and then Ryan talks about my energy level. Mm -hmm. So that's who I am, and I am really excited to get to be with you guys this morning to talk about this series, There's Just Something About Jesus. Um, A couple weeks ago, my brother-in-law was talking to me about this series title, and to him, he was really confused. He goes, how did you guys come up with this? Because to him, the first thing he was thinking of is the movie There's Just Something About Mary. And so he goes, so what are we talking about in church? Like he was so confused. And I've never seen this movie, so I don't really have all that same baggage that comes into that movie title. For me, I read There's Just Something About Jesus, and I think that's it. Like that summarizes our fascination. Because no matter what you walked in here believing about Jesus, logged on believing about Jesus, you have to admit there's something about that guy. I mean, we are here 2,000 years after his life and in thousands of churches, in hundreds of languages around the world, we're still talking about him. I can guarantee you 2,000 years from now, no one's gonna be talking about any of us on a first name basis around the world. I mean, his words still impact government and politics. They're in movies, they're in music. The guy's life changed humanity forever. And that is regardless of our belief in him or not, forever altered. So you gotta admit, there is just something about Jesus And that's why we wanted to do a series of saying, all right, so what is it about Jesus that was so remarkable, that altered everything so completely? But we also wanna take a moment after looking at that and saying, so what does that say about my life right now? If I wanna be Christ-like, if as a follower of Jesus, if I want my life to look more and more like Jesus all the time, what does that mean for me in my everyday?" So that's what we're gonna do this morning. So I um, serve in high school as their pastor, and the way our high school group is set up is that we've got our program where we do a game and a talk, but most of what high school is about on Wednesday nights is our small group program, which means that we have a bunch of volunteers who come to help serve in high school and lead our small groups. And they are, as you can imagine, they're a crazy, fun group of people, group of adults. And so to keep in contact through the week, we have these, text conversations that we send so we've got a group for the girl leaders and a group for the guy leaders and they couldn't be more different the girl leaders are always just like encouraging thumbs up thanks for the info stacy keep it going and the guy leaders are full of sassiness and memes and like this general level of back talk all the time so for an example this last Thursday, the Thursday of rodeo break, I guess it's been a couple weeks now. The Thursday of rodeo break, I woke up to our guy leader text messages saying things like, hey, I'm at the church, where are you? I've got a fan- van full of kids, where are you at? I hope Chick-fil-A's for breakfast. And just just being ridiculous because... Normally in high school on rodeo break, we take all of our students and we go down to Rocky Point, Mexico. And we partner with an organization down there to build houses for people in that community. And obviously we weren't able to do that this last year. And that's what they're pointing fun at because that trip is amazing. I mean, it is full of unique experiences and hanging out by the bonfire and just unifying as a high school group, but it is one of the most Physically demanding trips that you can imagine. And it's the whole four days. I mean, we start out, usually we get there to this build site that we're gonna build a home at. And the first thing we have to do by hand is level off where the house is gonna go with one of those hand tampers all the way around. And then we have to make concrete by hand, which means we have to sift the rocks out of the sand and we use wheelbarrows and shovels to try and mix all the concrete together. And I am talking hundreds of wheelbarrows to try and set up the foundation for a home. And that's just one of our usually three build sites on our first half day of work. Like, this is a big, demanding trip. And I remember um, a couple years ago, I was sitting next to one of our guy students, and we're talking about how much work this trip is. And he goes, Yeah, but Stace, it's so much fun. I mean, this is so cool. And then he says to me, He goes, You know, If I had stayed home for this school break, I would have just slept in and played video games. But I came here and I worked so hard. I wonder why I can't do that at home. And like, you laugh if you've got a teenager, because here's the thing, I can take them for four days, hard physical labor, and they remember joy, and they can't wait to go again next year. You can ask them to clean their room, empty the dishwasher, and like the eye roll would give you a headache. It's an argument like World War III, I've seen it. I've got a teenage brother, I've seen it. What's the difference? Like, why is it for us? Because it's not just teenagers. When I was asking my husband about being a servant or what it means to serve, his responses were about going to a a soup kitchen maybe to serve, or like when we might serve around Christmas or Thanksgiving time. And I would bet if I asked you four out of five times what it means to be a servant, what it means to serve others, we immediately jump to some of these thoughts of leaving our life, leaving our known world, to go somewhere to serve people over here in some capacity, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time. But there's always this step that sort of feels like this big selfless act, where I have to leave what I know and I have to go over here to serve in this way. And what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about what it means that Jesus came as a servant, that Jesus was a servant. But I also want to talk about what that means to our everyday life, to be a servant and to serve. So to do that, I want to start in this conversation that happens between the disciples and Jesus. And it's actually a pretty uh, well-known conversation. It's in several of the gospels. And we're gonna start in John 13 to be able to read about what's gonna happen. And so this is a Passover time. So the disciples and Jesus have gotten together in this room and they're preparing for this very special meal. And Jesus knows he's getting closer to Jerusalem. He's getting closer to the end of, of his life. He's getting closer to the cross and he knows that. So we're going to encounter this moment um, in John chapter 13, starting in verse 4. So he, being Jesus, got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with that towel that was wrapped around him. Then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I wanna pause because I know for some of us, this might be a really familiar situation. We might've read this before. And honestly, this is something that people do like as a marriage proposal, people do it to be able to send out missionaries. And honestly, in our culture, we have things like pedicures. So like the scandal of this moment might be missed on us if we don't pause because this is almost offensive. And you hear it in Peter's voice. When he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's not asking out of curiosity. He's also not being like, oh sweet, I've got this spot, if you could get that. He is asking, scandalized, Lord, do you think you are going to wash my feet? because they come from a culture of sandals and dirt roads. It is common to have dirty feet. And it is common when you go to a meal or you enter a person's home to have some kind of washing and foot cleansing moment. But that job is reserved for what they call the lowest of servants. There are historians and commentaries who say that that job of washing a person's feet before a meal was considered so low and possibly even degrading, that only a non-Jewish or a Gentile servant could participate in that. It was too low for even a Jewish servant to think that they could go and wash their feet. And now imagine this: the disciples, we're not told there's anybody there to help them prepare for this meal. And it's not like the disciples are going to stand up and clean each other's feet with that knowledge. And then we have Jesus who stands up, removes his outer garment, ties a towel around his waist, looking every part the servant, to them the lowest servant, and gets a basin of water and begins to kneel to clean their feet. Imagine this moment. Jesus is taking everything the disciples know about the world and flipping it on its head in this very simple act, turning everything over. Imagine what this looks like in our world. Imagine tomorrow, you go to your front door to get your daily Amazon package, and when the door rings, there's Jeff Bezos, gajillionaire, getting out of the little blue van in the shorts to put it by your door. Imagine you go to look at a new car, and Elon Musk himself, with his weird pauses and taking forever to say things, is the guy who says, how can I help you today? What are you looking for? Like, imagine you go to look for new shoes, and Kanye stands there with his ugly Yeezys, or like, LeBron himself goes, what size are you? How can I help you with this? Imagine at your door is Marie Kondo, and she starts picking up your living room, asking you if this brings you joy. Like, that's ridiculous. That is a moment that we laugh or we roll our eyes to because it would never happen. And yet it's happening for the disciples, the rabbi, the Messiah, the savior, the Jesus Christ has stood up to wash their feet. And I love this about Jesus. I love that Jesus can stand up and say, I don't care how high or low you think this action is, I came to serve, I came to be a servant, and here I am, and I'm gonna do that. And the thing is, this conversation keeps going. We're gonna pick it up in Luke 22, because this is a big moment for the disciples. I mean, it already is because of uh, what what Jesus just did, this action he just did. But this is a moment that Jesus is going to try and alter every way the disciples see the world, because he knows he's coming near to the end of his life. This is the time where he's gonna take communion, and he's gonna change its meaning. Take this in remembrance of me. Drink this in remembrance of me. This is when he says, I am about to go be the ultimate servant. I am about to go die on a cross that everyone for all time would know how much God loves them, and he knows he's about to do that. So imagine being here in this special meal, and Jesus just performed that act of washing your feet, and he's saying all these things. that changes everything. Imagine being the disciple. So this is how they respond to this important moment. Luke 22, verse 24 tells us, and a dispute arose among them as to which of them the disciples was considered to be the greatest. What? How is that the response to everything Jesus has been doing? He took everything they know. He flipped it around and they go, yeah, but which one of us is your favorite? Like which one of us is the greatest? They missed it. They completely missed this changing moment Jesus is trying to have with them. And so maybe Jesus knows that there's something about servanthood that is really easy to miss, that is easy for us to skip over or to, or to move past, because he's going to try one more time. Verse 24, he says, a dispute also arose oh, so yeah, a dispute arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. This is their food fight. So Jesus responds and says, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. So Jesus knows he's talking to a people who are ingrained in this shame-honor culture. Everything that they understand, when he says Gentiles lord their power over them, they know what that means. They know whoever's in charge, whoever the leader is, flexes that power all of the time. Whoever's in charge makes sure that everybody who's underneath them knows that they're the most important thing. They know that their job is to make sure that they're happy, to serve at their pleasure. And the disciples go, yeah. That's why we want to know who's on your left and who's on your right. We get you're in the throne, Jesus, but who gets to be on each side? We want to know who we're going to get to have authority over. That's why we want to know who's the greatest. And like, we get this. So much of our world, we're tempted to be, like, frustrated with the disciples, like, why don't you see it? But we get this. Our lives are built really similar. A lot of what we do and we live through, from school and sports to our homes to our jobs, are built on this level of status and authority and getting to the top or at least being on your way to the top. I mean, so much of what we do is about us saying, but who am I in control of? But who's above me and who's here to make sure that I stay up, I stay the top dog? Like, we get this, we live this too. And this is how Jesus responds, his next words. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves but you are not to be like that. This is that moment that Jesus says, everything I've been modeling for you, this moment that I took your world and I flipped it upside down, I want you to do the exact same thing with your world. You see me modeling it, you were scandalized by it, and I want you to take that and I want you to turn your world upside down too. You see the way others flex their muscles and use their authority, and I want it to be different when it comes to you and it comes to your life. For this is what he says. He says in verse 27, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in the trials. He takes a second to say, you know who I am. You know I'm Jesus. You know I just stood up, and I just washed your feet. You've stood next to me through everything my ministry has done, and you've seen me serve. But then he says, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. I give and I bestow on you a kingdom. And you know what's tricky about a kingdom? A kingdom is not like a place when it's your kingdom that you go to for a brief while and then you jump back to your real life or to your world. A kingdom is your real life. A kingdom is your every day and the people that you interact with every day. And Jesus says in your kingdom, in your everyday moments with your everyday people, not so with you. I want that world to be flipped too. I want you to serve and be a servant there as I have been modeling for you. So I want to spend the rest of our morning looking at two of the ways that Jesus serves, as the servant, two of the ways that he serves, that we might be able to bring that into our own kingdoms. Because I want to ask us, at the end of this, I want to ask us the question, so what is your kingdom about? What is your kingdom like? So the first thing that I, um, that we're going to talk about Jesus doing when it comes to serving is that Jesus chooses to be a servant. He chose to stand up and wash their feet. He chose to give of his time, to give of his resources, ultimately to give of his life. He made these choices. But it's not as if he just wakes up one day and that's just happened. There must be something that he's able to ground himself in, to be able to make that choice every single day and in all those different ways. And if we look back at John 13, John actually tells us in verse three, what it is that powered him to stand up and wash his disciples feet, what it powers him to stand up and be the servant. For Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. You know, sometimes when we talk about being a servant or when we talk about serving others, there's a part for us that's kind of repelled from that because we think, so you want me to be lesser than. You want me to be weaker than. See, Stace, I know how this hierarchy goes and you want me to put myself down here and to be like a a doormat, to be ignored, to be less than all these things. And that that really makes us wanna run away from this, regardless if we wanna be a Jesus follower or not. To be weaker than, to be a doormat is not something that we wanna run towards. But what I see happening in verse three, as Jesus stands up to be the servant, is I actually see a great amount of strength. I see Jesus knowing exactly where his value and his worth come from. I see Jesus knowing it's not about who's washing my feet versus whose feet I'm washing, he says it's God. God tells me what my value is. God tells me what my worth is. God tells me what my identity is. And the more that I live in that, I have no problem knowing my value is to choose to serve others. And so as we talk about choosing to be a servant or to serve in our kingdoms, we might have to start with the question of, where does your value come from? Where is our worth Found? Where do we go to answer the question, who am I and why do I matter? Because for some of us we get those disciples because our life we're trying to find our value and our worth in that title and in that status. We're trying to race to the top somehow to make sure that everybody knows what we did, that we could, what our strength is, that everybody knows they're there now to keep us up there. Look at me, look at this promotion, look at this status, look at this title, whether it's in our home or in our jobs or wherever our lives might be. We know what that looks like, but my question is, is that cycle of finding value and title and status ever enough? Or do we find ourselves constantly needing more? Constantly needing to make sure we really are up there. Everybody really does know that. Maybe I need to climb one more step, I need to do one more thing to really make sure people know where my authority lies, my value lies. I mean, isn't there a little part of us that starts to get scared? Like, we start to get scared, what if somebody sees my weakness? I got to hold this, they got to know they're here for me, but what if they see that I'm uncertain? What if life changes and I suddenly lose that job? I suddenly lose that relationship. My bottom body suddenly fails me and sickness enters my story. What happens to us if our value and our worth is found here and suddenly something changes? Don't we find ourselves kind of empty or scared or feeling like a fraud? But what if I change that question around? Because for some of us, the question is, are you willing to be served? Some of us repel against being a servant because of the title and the status, but for some of us, if I asked you, are you willing to be served? That is something that is really tough to get our brains around. And I think we saw that with Peter. When Peter saw Jesus Christ stand up and tie a towel around his waist, intending to kneel down and clean his feet, he no. You cannot serve me. I will not be served by you. We see the scandal happen for him. And some of us, it is hard to be served, this is me. I struggle so hard with this, to sit down and say that I might need help to sit down and say that I might be tired or I might not be able to do this myself. I talked about Mexico and one of the things on that trip with Mexico and the high schoolers is, yes, it's important to build the houses and to do a great job, but really for a leader, the importance is the kids. We want the kids to learn a new skill. We want them to be empowered to teach that skill to other students, yes, As the leader, I might do it better, I might do it faster, but I want them to be empowered in that, and I want them to feel strong in those moments. And I tell my leaders that all the time. Take the break, have the conversation, sit with the student. Like, I get that, right until I get to the work site. As soon as I start working, hey, Stace, do you need any help? No, 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 I got this, go take your lunch. Hey, Stace, can I jump in? You can take a break. I'm like, no, 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 go help somebody else. Because I hate to be served. But for those of us that that might be true for, aren't we struggling with the same thing as that title and that status? We're seeking our value in what we can bring to somebody else, what we can do for somebody else. We're finding our value and our worth in whether other people need us and recognize us and see us. And sometimes that is going to fall apart because at some point that relationship that's so dependent on you isn't going to be so dependent. What happens? If when the kids move out, what happens when those people don't see you and don't appreciate you and don't notice all that you're trying to do and give to them? Where's your value? Where's your worth? Will we be left exhausted? Will we be left resentful? And what Jesus says time and time again in this moment, he goes, my value comes from God. He says, our value, our worth, our identity is already taken care of. And God already said, you are valuable and you have worth. The security and the strength of that. Recognizing where our value and our worth comes from is not a weakness, that is a strength. It is a strength to be able to say, I know who I am. Regardless of who's cleaning my feet or whose feet I'm cleaning, God tells me exactly who I am. And it's in that security that we get to recognize we actually have something that we want to give away because we're good. God's already got our worth and our value taken care of. We now have something that we get to give away to people because we're secure in that knowledge. And the second thing um, that I see Jesus doing when uh, when he is a servant, as I see him, when Jesus serves, he raises others up and he empowers them. You know, when he's talking to the disciples about authority and he mentions a Gentile ruler flexing political power, he also uses this specific word called a benefactor. And what a benefactor was back then is it might be somebody who gave or who served somebody, like they forgave a debt or they gave them land or they gave them some money to get by. But there is an understanding with a benefactor that you will find public ways to recognize what that person has done for you. You will stand in the street and you will say thank you. You will tell everyone what they did for you. There's this point where you need to make sure the benefactor knows I needed you to make sure that this happened. And sometimes when we serve, we can accidentally serve in such a way that ends up magnifying or emphasizing the neediness of that other person starting to prop up our ego or prop up our resources or prop up something about us and we can accidentally serve in such a way that accidentally degrades that other person but i don't see i don't see jesus doing that i mean he didn't stand up after washing the disciples' feet and be like you may applaud now you're welcome I mean, he never did that. Think about his miracles. When he healed a person, he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go, open your eyes and see. He touched them and he healed them and he said, go live. Jesus served in a way that empowered and raised them up. Did you notice when he washed the feet of the disciples, he washed Judas's feet, possibly on the night that he is going to go and betray him to his death. And Jesus stooped down and washed his feet. I I wonder what motivates Jesus to serve someone so ungrateful, to serve moments that don't have recognition. And so John, back to John 13, this is what John says as he's again, preparing to wash the disciples' feet. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end, or some translations say, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I mean, Jesus loves. He loved them, Jesus loves us. Why does he choose to serve when he knows his value and his worth is found in God? He chooses to serve others because he wants to empower them to see where their value is too. He wants other people to recognize you're a child of God. I'm here to serve you because you are worth serving. It's not a thank you. It's not a recognition. I don't feel like a doormat. I know who I am, but I want you to know who you are too. He serves because he loves. A servant's heart is recognizing the value of the other and raising that up. I feel like Becky spoke to this. I love what she had to share about uh, some of the stuff that we're doing overseas with our Cassis Go because that, that group she talked about that's helping in their community against um, sex trafficking. What's great about that is it's not like our group saw something happening in community and go, I need to fix that. I have all of the answers, all of the resources, I'm gonna go fix that community over there. What happened is a community of people recognized their value. The people in that community said, no, God loves me. God loves me a lot. And you know what? I think God loves my neighbors a lot too and the people in my community. So I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna make sure that they know they are valuable and they have worth and that they're safe in that. We have the opportunity to partner to make sure that they can keep doing that, but they're already recognizing what God's value is. We don't swoop in with answers. We swoop in getting to be like, I love what you are about. How can we support what God's already doing over there? already showing people that they're made in God's image. You know, and it can be tough. It can be tough sometimes to to find your value in God, to find your security in who God says that you are. It can be tough to choose to serve, and it can be really tough to choose to serve people who might be ungrateful, who might not even notice what you're doing and what you're about, who might not show you that appreciation. And so one of the things um, that we talk about here is we talk about recognizing something to appreciate in that other person. Jesus models this, but being able to see in that other person, God loves you and God loves you so much. You are made in God's image. You are God's child. And I want to empower that because there's something about serving that re-centers us on who God says we are so that we can re-center them on who God says that they are also. And in light of these two aspects, I wanna take a minute to go back to that question and ask, so what is your kingdom about? In light of saying my value and my worth come from God, not status, not my unwillingness to be served, but God first and foremost. And when I know that, I want other people to know that about their value and their worth. I wanna ask, so what does your kingdom, your everyday people you see kingdom look like? Because for some of us, Our kingdom looks like I'm up here and I need you to recognize up up here and I need you to do everything you can to serve to my pleasure. Some of us are sitting at a table in our kingdom and we're frustrated wondering where the servant's at doing what I told them to do, keeping me up in my status. And some of us, our kingdom is flipped. Our world has turned upside down like Jesus asked and we are actually standing up at our table, pulling out a chair, making space for somebody else. We're actually in our kingdom asking, how can I serve you in such a way that you experience how much God loves you? How can I love you like I have been loved? Some of our kingdoms are like that. You know, when we, when we serve in a way that's Christ-modeled and we get to recenter, when I think about that, I think about a relationship in my life in particular, because for me to think about a kingdom so upside down, I think about my dad for me in my life, this has always been exemplified by my dad. My dad may not have these like big, grand moments of forever altering human history, but I can tell you in every single day, in every single way, my dad showed up to his everyday kingdom saying, how can I better serve my family so that they know their value? Like for moments of getting a phone call late at night because I went to go hit the accelerator in my Jeep and I heard a bang and went nowhere because the transmission went out, which you know is a bummer and you can't go anywhere. So dad had to get out of bed in the middle of the night with the tow strap and tow my Jeep home. He's had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the I-10 to fix a flat tire in the dark on the freeway for my sister. But that's dad. Dad stays up late at night to help me with algebra homework because I was failing algebra. Dad's the one who taught me how to do a handshake, and he taught me how to do public speaking when it came to reading my D.A.R.E. essay at school, if you remember D.A.R.E. at all. <laughs> right? I mean, that's my dad. And what do dads often get as a thank you? In my family, it is a running joke how many times I have thrown up on my dad. Like, it's a lot, it's a weird amount of times. And I don't know if it's because he did such a good job, I just find comfort there. So when I don't feel well, I find dad to throw up. I don't know what it is, but that's, I mean, what kind of thank you is that for getting up to help me out? He gets doors slammed, I hate you, you're ruining my life. Hey, can I just use that tool? Like, that's what dads get sometimes when they serve in their kingdom. And yet every single day, my dad chooses to do that and flip that world upside down. And you know what's crazy? Is the more my dad centers himself in who Jesus says he is, that's where his value and his worth come from. He only wants to make sure we know that too. And it has impacted everyone in his kingdom. I know because I don't have to hesitate to call my dad. I don't have to hesitate to call Jesus. My friends know at any point in time, they can walk into my parents' house, sit down and have any conversation. They know they'll be heard, and they know they'll be respected. My husband knows he is part of our family. He is a one of us, and partly because of how well my dad has raised him up and empowered him to show him value within our family. And honestly, isn't that what we want? When I go to Mexico, yes, I love serving with kids, and I love seeing their lives change, and I love seeing Mexico impact their lives, but what I love more It's three months later I see them at school and they tell me how Mexico has forever altered the way that they see their family and their friends and their school. I want this recentering on Jesus to happen for them and to impact their kingdom too. Because that's what Jesus as a servant, there's just something about Jesus. As a servant, it was amazing, but as a servant, he empowered others to recognize their value, that their kingdom might be impacted that way. And isn't that what we want? So as we kind of end up today and we wrap up, I just have this challenge. As we talk about serving, we talk about servanthood, which can be really challenging for some of us. Step into this upside down world in your own life. What would it look like in your world to so center and ground in the security of who God says that you are, regardless of status or title or whatever else might be there, to be so secure in that, that you have something you know you can give away, that you get to empower somebody else to recognize that value too. Please join me for prayer this morning. Dear God, Lord, thank you so much for serving, for coming to be that ultimate servant for coming to show us that we are so valuable, we are worth your life, God. I'm thankful for that love, and I pray that you would help us to love others well too. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, enjoy your Sundays, have a great week.